right now, you know, Bitcoiners are parading around saying like, oh, this is great for Bitcoin. Bitcoin literally fixes this. And I'm saying that as well. But the reality of it is, is, it, is that's not the perception. And in order to bring more retail in, investors and, and uh, individuals into this space, you need Bitcoin to have this like positive, cool light to it. What happens when you actually swipe your card or give someone a dollar and how inefficient fiat is, is mind blowing when you really break it down. How do we make money more efficient? That's what the world cares about. That's what, where the world's gonna adopt Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the, is the most efficient if Bitcoin is the standard, if it's on Lightning, because we can move money anywhere in the world, right? And in in, to anyone, Lightning solves a lot of people's problems, just not ours. How do you remove clicks? How do you remove friction to get people into Bitcoin? I think smart contracts are so, so, so important and Bitcoin is so far behind, it's like, even, like ZK uh, rollups on Bitcoin are possible. It's not anti-Bitcoin if Bitcoin's the base layer. Alex Edelman is the CEO and co-founder of Lolly, a Bitcoin-backed rewards platform that has helped over 600,000 people stack sats while shopping. In our wide-ranging conversation, we discussed why rewards are an important piece for accelerating Bitcoin adoption. Alex talked about why Lolly has not yet integrated Bitcoin's Lightning Network into their application. And we discussed the importance of smart contracts and why Alex believes they are a big net positive for the Bitcoin ecosystem. Alex is also asked to have his share of today's show splits sent to the Human Rights Foundation. So if you enjoy this show and if you learn something new from the episode, the best way you can support it is by sending in sats over the Lightning Network. You can use any podcasting 2.0 app. There are dozens of them but my favorite one to use is Fountain. Before we get into the show, just a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage, who is creating the Lightning Network Infrastructure Toolkit built for engineers. Today's show is also sponsored by Stackwork. Stackwork is a lightning-powered transcription tool that takes the best of AIs and humans to create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. We'll have more from Voltage and Stackwork later in the show. Alex, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to discuss everything you're building at Lolly. But before we get into it, why don't you give listeners a your background? How did you get into Bitcoin? Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I got into Bitcoin in uh, 2013. Um, I was building my last company and, and uh, cr uh, coming to New York, crashing on couches, you know, just trying to do the, the bootstrap founder life. And uh, I, I remember being at a bar and uh, meeting this guy who had just gotten, you know, orange pilled. And uh, he, he was teaching me all about Bitcoin. So we ended up talking about it for like four or five hours, closed out the bar. And um, I had, you know, background in, in like payments and, and um, e-com and, and been, you know, kid of the internet for forever. And so I had, uh, and also hired people all over the world. So I feel like when I got into it, it solved like a million things, a million questions I had, problems I had with the internet. And a few things that resonated with me in, 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 in that conversation was um, money that could connect 4 billion people with an internet connection and 8 billion people uh, that interact with money, um, you know, almost every day. And, and so that, that alone, um, you know, really it's like solved a big problem, big pain point for me. Um, which was the democratization of money, democratization of finance, um, and yeah, I, I, I once I once I got into it, I haven't been able to 
um, look back or do anything since. So. <laughs> yeah. So that was 2013, learning about Bitcoin. And then I believe fast forward to what, 2018 when you decided to build Lolly? Yep. Um, so we were, the company I was building at the time, we tried to actually implement Bitcoin because we were more or less a payments company. And we were working with some of the biggest merchants in North America. And I ended up uh, taking Bitcoin and, and Cosmic was the company name uh, to all these different companies and saying, hey, you know, we're hooked into 99 different payment gateways. Why don't you just add Bitcoin as payment gateway number 100? Uh, trying to like position it, you know, creatively because they were already working with all these other payment gateways. And so I was saying, this is just this is just a payment gateway for the Internet. Um, like look at Bitcoin in, as this way of someone's, you know, sending a transaction to you and and uh, instead of it going through 10 intermediaries to get to you and, and 70 or 90 days later with remittance, this gives it to you instantaneously. So I think there was like a misconception of how merchants like thought about it then and think about it now. The three biggest issues that were in 2013, it wasn't that they hated Bitcoin. It wasn't that they didn't get it. It was that they didn't have remittance networks. They didn't have, there was no consumers that had it. Uh, the consumers that had it didn't want to pay with it. So all of those things, like it doesn't matter if a merchant loves it, if they hate it, whatever. It just had no purpose as being, as starting is almost like Satoshi's original vision, which was um, paying, you know, another party. Um, and consumers could pay if they were in a country where they wanted to move money. But in the U.S., which is a massive market, clearly, um, it, it didn't quite make sense because uh, the merchants didn't want to accept it because they'd never met network set up. So, uh, you know, fast forward many years, um, I, we ended up getting acquired by Rakuten, the biggest cashback company in the U.S. and many parts of the world. And I was there and I was just like, oh, my God, this is an incredible way to distribute cash to people. Why not just distribute Bitcoin to people? It, it removes all the issues that I saw in 2013, which was remittance. You don't have like merchants don't have to deal with remittance when it's rewards. Consumers don't have to have it. They can just pay with a credit card, pay with whatever they want and they get it. And then they don't have to spend it. They just have to earn more of it because Bitcoin goes up over time and has gone up over time. So it has all it answered those three big questions of like making Bitcoin. Bitcoin a rewards platform and think of it as a rewards as opposed to thinking of it as payments first. And so, yeah, to this day, I, you know, I think, um, you know, we've, we have incredible traction uh, just based on that thesis alone and just the U S alone of uh, 600,000 users um, over a thousand merchants. I think we have more merchants than any other crypto company in the world. Um, and, and I think definitely a Bitcoin company. Um, and so I, you know, I think we've, we've done a lot of creative, uh, built a lot of creative tools in, 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 in different industries to think about Bitcoin a little bit differently with the pursuit of getting Bitcoin to be lar more wildly, wild, uh, widely adopted by both merchants and consumers at the same time. Mm, interesting. I like that idea of Bitcoin as a rewards platform. Um, in, in the last, so in the last four years, has your vision for what Lolly will become or your, your understanding of the the problem that you're trying to solve has any of that changed in the last four years? Um, and it's not to brag, but I feel like I've been pretty right about the, like the industry. I, I think that um, you know there even back then there was talks about like lightning and and the potential, and I believe the future of lightning. I I um, you know I believe the that Bitcoin will eventually be a payments 
tool um, for many people. Um, but I didn't predict COVID, uh, which excel- I think accelerated faster than I thought it was going to be. Um, I didn't predict a global recession, which I think we're in in the midst of, and and you know just it's just getting started. Um, and so I think there those there's a few things that I didn't predict that were sort of external factors of like we built Lolly to be really good in a recession. And we thought maybe over the course of the lifetime of a company, you know, 10 plus years, there would be a recession because just, that's just, there really hasn't been a moment in history when 20 years have gone by and there hasn't been some form of recession. Right. So we were like, there probably will be some form of a recession. And we know that cash back and rewards do really, really well during recessions because people want to save money. So I was like, if we can time it right and build this company during this time and almost like invite a recession or have a you know recession happen um, by some form or another, just by you know natural occurring things, uh, then maybe it would happen. And then COVID happens, and we're like, oh my god, this is arguably like the perfect storm for Bitcoin. You're gonna have inflation. You're going to have people want Bitcoin because they may or may not trust their gov- their government. And there's plenty of bad things, you know, clearly that happened from uh, COVID. Um, but for Bitcoin, I, you know, I think it'll be a pretty big accelerant in, when we look back 10 years from now at what it, it sort of forced us to solve. Um, moving money all around the world, um, not relying on government um, as much as we were, um, giving people the ability to like um, accept, accept money from anywhere and, and, uh, move money all over. Like we're, we're these like global citizens now we can't pay each other globally or we couldn't before Bitcoin. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of things there that I didn't predict on more of like the macro side, uh, or predicted loosely. Um, but I think Bitcoin has like done exactly what I thought it was going to do. I, um, I was, I think, you know, even though I'm a big, uh, you know, Bitcoin rationalist, uh, Bitcoin believer, I, have a lot of criticisms of Bitcoin, but those criticisms have been pushed into a Bitcoin product because I think that Bitcoin at its core isn't solving those problems fast enough, in my opinion. And so we need creative um, products that work around it uh, in its limitations of today so that it gets pushed forward to the future that we want tomorrow. Mm, that's really interesting. So you, you mentioned that in a recession, cash back rewards and things like that tend to do really well. Um, how does this, how does the Bitcoin price affect lolly adoption? If we assume the lolly adoption increases in a recession, does a Bitcoin price increase? Have you seen that lead directly to a, an increase in users? Um, does it, you know, does, does lolly adoption increase when Bitcoin prices are going down and people are trying to furiously stack sats? What, what does that, relationship for you guys between, I guess, the overall economy and the Bitcoin price uh, when it comes to user adoption? Great question. So I have some, some sort of a, 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 like more of a nuanced answer because it's, it's a complex um, problem that, you know, we're, we're solving here in the, in the back end of like, ultimately we're trying to convince people that Bitcoin is better than cash, right? Like you're getting cash back and other, other apps, other competitive apps, or you're getting Bitcoin in our experience. And, we have figured out ways to get the highest rates in the industry because our users are so valuable. They're, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoiners, they're higher, they're, they're uh, more affluent. They're um, a little bit more like tech savvy and, and uh, you know, they want to save money, which is really great. 
Um, that said, they are typically um, like Bitcoin as, as an asset has sort of a cap during bear markets. There is only a set amount of people that want Bitcoin over cash and they all want it during bull markets, contrary to popular belief. You think, you know, oh, it's like in a rational world, you'd see this thing is dipping. Everybody knows about Bitcoin and I want more of this, this scarce asset. We're not in the global adoption cycle yet where everybody knows the value of Bitcoin. It's, there's a lot of criticism of Bitcoin. There's a lot of grouping of Bitcoin and crypto. So anything that happens like, uh, you know, the FTX uh, fiasco, um, Bitcoin got hurt by that, right? Like it's, it's, um, it, it, it didn't dip as much as I think people thought it would. Um, but like 3AC, we, uh, you know, Bitcoin was wrapped into that. Uh, FTX, Bitcoin was wrapped into that. So all these moments that are happening in crypto are also br- like negative moments of, you know, Bitcoin or criticism of crypto. It brings Bitcoin down. And then on the other side, um, the consumers looking at it all as one one thing, like the mass consumer is looking at it all as one thing. So right now, you know, Bitcoiners are parading around saying like, oh, this is great for Bitcoin. Bitcoin literally fixes this. And I'm saying that as well. But the reality of it is, is, it, is that's not the perception. And in order to bring more retail in, investors and, and uh, individuals into this space, you need Bitcoin to have this like positive, cool light to it in order for people to adopt it. So we have two, two real customers. We have your diehard Bitcoiners that want more Bitcoin. Every Satoshi counts. That is an incredible customer that is actively using Lolly and trying to stack more and figuring out more ways to earn during this time. That's a, that's a, that is one subset of our, of our customer. We have the other customer, which is, has never had Bitcoin or has very little Bitcoin or Lolly is their first Bitcoin experience. At first, we were really just, it was just like all Bitcoiners want, like we're using Lolly and, but we've now started, and this is a positive sign is, is that market has gotten smaller as we've gotten bigger. So now we have, we've, we're bringing in so many new users because we've capped out at like the Bitcoiners in the, in, in like the U S that already have Bitcoin and that love Bitcoin. We sort of capped that out of like, we have all like, if you're a Bitcoiner and you don't use Lolly, like, what are you doing? You know, like, um, like pretty much everyone in the U.S. that's a Bitcoiner, I feel like has heard of Lolly or, or, or knows it. We're now focused on this, on bringing on new people. So I look at it as like every Bitcoiner's sister, brother, mom, dad, friend is kind of the category we're going into now. And those people knew that like Kevin has Bitcoin, but they might not care about Bitcoin. And so they're a little bit more wavering on price. So for them, as Bitcoin's crashing, they like they don't care as much about Bitcoin and we have to do more to educate them. And it's hard, like convincing somebody that Bitcoin has more value than cash is a very, very difficult task. So we've gotten creative about how to teach them that part of it is being a cashback application. So messaging more things like cashback where you happen to be able to earn Bitcoin. It's more like savings focus and cashback focus and merchant focus. So like today we launched Duncan, you know, a partnership with Duncan. Everybody knows Duncan. Everybody wants rewards at Duncan. You know, like, why not? So if you can go earn with Duncan, that's going to be the center of our focus and our marketing. You just so happen to be earning Bitcoin and now you can earn cash as well. And so giving people that choice of what they're going to earn, I would rather that they earn cash back in our ecosystem if they don't want Bitcoin, because 
next time, you know, Bitcoin has like a catalyst moment or next time Bitcoin doubles, I can go say, hey, that $5 that you earned from Duncan, it, it would have been $10. That, that's what gets them. If they had been earning that $5 somewhere else, I have to go reacquire them. I have to go acquire them in some other capacity. And so it's, it's, we take this like longer term approach that I think most Bitcoin companies and crypto companies can't and don't, which is like, let's go build a great relationship with these customers and earn them money, make them money in any way that they want. And over time, because we're a Bitcoin first company, we're going to keep educating them as long as that's a captive audience that's earning and using Lolly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So over time, as you, you mentioned, you, you educate these these um, users and you teach them about Bitcoin. W when you think about Bitcoin adoption uh, 10 years from now, how do you think we get from where we are today to 10 years? Like, what does that path look like for the industry? Um, you know, how do we get to the point where we can get billions of people on board? Um, you know, I I'd love to hear your thoughts on just the, the next kind of like phase of Bitcoin adoption. Yeah. Um, so full circle. Um, I mean, I, I actually can't share too much about what you and I worked on a few years ago, but, um, I don't, I, I, I guess, I, I guess I don't want to spill the beans cause it's still in, it's, it's still in the works, honestly, but if you're, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to share too much, but I'll share like very high level. Um, so for the audience, Kevin and I, um, met in the context of, um, we were, you know, working on a few projects together of like, how do we bring Bitcoin to the masses? And uh, one of the things that we worked on together, and I can't say the title of it, but um, it was basically what were all the inefficiencies of fiat money and trying to identify those and the full cycle of like, wh where does your dollar go? Because one of my biggest learnings from the last like 11 years is like, you know, just being in, in, in the world of payments is how inefficient fiat money is. And most people just look at it as like, I have a dollar. I give that dollar to, you know, McDonald's and McDonald's magically turns it into something and like fries and, and service and everything. The reality of what happens when you actually swipe your card or give someone a dollar and how inefficient fiat is, is mind blowing when you really break it down. And so Kevin and I, uh, without sharing any more and sort of like as a, um, you know, future excitement, because we'll, we'll release it soon. Um, like three years later, funny enough, um, is, is this, this idea that like, how do we make money more efficient? That's what the world cares about. That's what, where the world's going to adopt Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the, is the most efficient if Bitcoin is the standard, if it's on lightning, if certain you know, things happen, because we could move money anywhere in the world, right? And any, and to anyone right now, it's a, you have to give someone or someone has to have this, have this like suspension of belief to believe that a money that is highly volatile is a better money than the, the money that they know today. And how do you convince somebody that's in the U.S. that this money that's down from 69K down to 16K is better than the money that they have that's only inflating 7%, right? So fiat could be hyper inefficient, but it's not dropping 90% or 80% or whatever, you know, crypto has done over the last you know, few months if we're looking and being honest with ourselves. So what I, what, what my big um, thesis is, and I know this is a controversial opinion amongst Bitcoiners, but I, I, I just, I just call it like I see it and I uh, try to find truth where it exists is stable coins. Um, I think stable coins are going to be the necessary evil that we have to have 
in order to show the world that crypto is a better medium of exchange, first and foremost, and then it's a better segue into a Bitcoin standard, a Bitcoin future. And so you have to show people that crypto, which it is, is, is a more efficient medium of exchange. So you can move money anywhere in the world with stable coins. You, can, you don't have a macro payments problem. Uh, you can move a billion dollars. You could move uh, one cent. Um, so you have a, it solves the macro and the micro problem. It solves the volatility problem because in a, in a perfect world, it's one-to-one pegged to the dollar that you know. And so you can run an entire decentralized system in the back end of a, any app, and they can all communicate with each other through stable coins without ever touching uh, any other currency. And that is extremely powerful. You can do swaps, uh, FX swaps, right? Like there's so many applications that exist when you start to play a stable coin future. Now there's a lot of things that we need from that. We need to know that it's one-to-one. We need it to be decentralized. We can't have um, wallets being blacklisted like they are on Tether. Like there's lots of innovation that has to happen um, in order for stable coins to be adopted and, and to take off. But I believe stable coins will be ultimately, I think we'll look back 10, 20, 30 years from now, and, and stable coins will be the conduit for bringing crypto to the masses and ultimately bring Bitcoin to the masses. Because it's an easier switch to go from a stable coin into Bitcoin than it is to go from a stable co- from a from cash to Bitcoin. And so part of technology is shortening the time frame to get from one place to another. It's Fewer clicks, fewer friction, less friction, right? And most people don't think about that every day. I think about, I like obsess about that. I think about it literally every day. How do you remove clicks? How do you remove friction to get people into Bitcoin, to get people into Lightning, to get people into into anything, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the problem with Bitcoin. It's too hard to get. It's too difficult. You have to do so many mental leaps to get to it if you're being honest with it. So that's my answer is it's going to take stable coins. It's going to take... like some form of efficiency increase doesn't toward a digital dollar to get people ultimately into a Bitcoin future. Right. So, so first the idea is that you improve efficiency, you cut down on all the like processing fees and costs and delays that are associated with fiat payments. And then once you're there, so you've, you, you're doing the medium of exchange piece first and yes. then bit people come to Bitcoin. It's like a gateway and that kind of opens up a store of value. But yeah. see, now that's interesting that you say that because that there's there's another argument to be made for for the opposite. Uh, I think this was um, uh, Vijay Boyapati, uh, and uh, in one of his in his writing, he he outlines the path that money has taken to get to adoption, starting with a store of value and then going to a medium of exchange, then a unit of account. Um, or actually starting as a collectible first and then to store value medium of exchange. So I'm curious to know what you think about the, can these two ideas coexist where they absolutely will. Okay. Yeah. So I look at it from like a few different lenses. Um, I speak about it through like first and second world countries, third world countries should hypothetically just use Bitcoin, right? right? Like Bitcoin on lightning for them like, like, like I look at it as like, like if you zoom out, you know, like really far out to look at like a macro picture of the world and the financial system, every currency 
Um, so Bitcoin, like I think when I first got into the space, was like the hundredth most volatile currency in the world. If you looked at it as like a foreign, as like a it, it, forex, right? Uh, and a lot of people don't look at forex and Bitcoin being intermingled, but I do. So it's like if you looked at every currency in the world, the top hundred currencies, um, Bitcoin. When I first got into it, I think and like back in the day, it was around like a hundred. I remember that would being like a, a, a when I was developing my own personal thesis, I was like, how how does Bitcoin fare against every other currency in the world? That's ultimately the job to be done. And, and so, uh, you know, the example I use is like the Grim Reaper meme, if you've ever seen that, where it's like the Grim Reaper is like, you know, a bunch of doors and like, uh, you know, all these currencies are each door. And so every single time that it's less volatile and goes up, it, it, it knocks down a door. It, it like, you know, it, it goes on to the next currency, the next currency, the next currency. The last time I looked, Bitcoin was a top 20 least volatile currency, which is incredible, right? In a six, seven year time frame, eight year time frame, it went from 100 to top 20. Now, important caveat, the only currencies that really matter are like the top 10 and those control the entire world. And really, the entire world is really still on the US dollar. Um, and so you could argue, really, there's one currency that matters, and it's the U.S. dollar. But if we look at like 8 billion people, and you thought of what is the best currency for each individual, and you believe in a you know, self-sovereign, uh, self-sovereignty, self-sovereign world, you could backtrack and say the, you could say the people that are in third world countries that have no, con no control of their monetary policy are taxed by the U.S. in an you know, in, in abstracted form. Um, by the time that that value gets to them from the time that we printed a dollar, by the time it gets to them is so abstracted and so diluted that they're it, them being reliant on the U S dollar is in completely inefficient. And if they could, could just go get a Bitcoin, Bitcoin is way more important and way more valuable to them because it, it, it removes the need of a central party. And so for them, they should hypothetically either have a U.S. dollar stablecoin or Bitcoin in, in a perfect world. Right. Now, we could bring in, you know, like another interesting thing if we want to go there is like many of them adopted Ethereum in this last wave because NFTs, because free to play, because gaming. And so there's an interesting, you know, development happening with, with in, in Ethereum where Ethereum solved the store value and the, the medium exchange problem in one go with NFTs. And so Bitcoiners missed that wave. Um, and I have a lot of, you know, like I said, a lot of criticisms of like, you know, the, the, the Bitcoin space. And that's why I fight for it so hard. Cause like, I want, I want more out of it. I want, I, I think Bitcoin is the best money in the world. But when you look around at like, who's doing a better job, Ethereum is doing a way better job as a community in so many ways. Um, and they had a massive leap um, over the last cycle to get real users, wallets, and non-custodial wallets, which is, you know, the goal of Bitcoiners, right? Um, uh, the last, last I checked, NFTs passed, um, like NFT wallets passed the uh, live Bitcoin wallets, um, which I thought was fascinating. I, I, was just, I just looked that up the other day. I was like, huh, let me, let me see if that's accurate. And it was. So. Um, I, I would love to see that in real time. And I was just you know, piecing together a bunch of different data points, but it looks like NFTs were pretty important in the grand scheme of things of, of creating stores of value um, 
enabling you know creators with international commerce and creating a medium exchange of saying people want to pay with this thing called Ethereum. Mm. Like, Interesting. Pretty, pretty impressive. It's still day one. Like Bitcoin, you know, is still winning, but it's um, interesting developments uh, going on there. So now if you were unilaterally in charge of Bitcoin's marketing strategy, if you could kind of like pull the strings on, on the industry and just say like, here's what we need to be working on. I know this is just a hypothetical because of course no one, no one has that power, but um, what would you, what would be your focus? If you were, if you were in charge of like trying to get more Bitcoin adoption from the rest of the industry, what would you be saying to everyone else? Here's what we got to do. Smart contracts. I, I think I think smart contracts are so 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 important, and Bitcoin is so far behind. It's like, even like zk uh, rollups on Bitcoin are possible um, from you know, the research that 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 um, we've seen so far. And so I, I think that like zk rollups on Bitcoin would allow for smart contracts of any type um, to to occur, and. Bitcoin, the way I understand it is Bitcoin core cannot do it right today, but it could do it through a soft fork. So, you know, I don't think that Bitcoin is going to do a hard fork for smart contracts. I just don't think that there is the appetite to do that. But the fact that we could do it through a soft fork, um, you know, like, I mean, basically like Taproot, um, I think if there was enough of a, of, of, you know, people to, to do it on the marketing side, you can't, you can't have it just be a fungible asset. You need a non-fungible component to it. And if you look at like the waves of adoption and what people actually want out of these chains, you need to have a stable coin attached to Bitcoin if you want Bitcoin to be the standard. You need non-fungible assets to be attached to Bitcoin as a fungible asset if you want people to pay for things on a digital in a digital environment. I look at it as like Bitcoin was so far ahead of the race and you know like it does so many things you know way better than anything like it literally won proof of work like n no one really talks about that like like you know i, I they, they look at it from like oh ethereum's trying to be like more energy efficient it's like no ethereum couldn't compete with proof of work bitcoin won proof of work and you know n but now we're losing this other game to be played which is like transactions. And so if you believe in proof of work, which I still very much do, we we need to have smart contracts on Bitcoin to be able to do flexible, um, to build a flexible financial system where Bitcoin is the base of everything and people can build applications on top of Bitcoin being the base layer. It doesn't disrupt Bitcoin. It doesn't change Bitcoin, but it creates a central truth of the universe of money. And that's the that's the game to be played. It's it's Bitcoin is the monetary policy that is set in stone for you know 2140 everyone can agree behind and and build tools on top of it. But right now it is too difficult to build on top of Bitcoin and you need to invite creators, you need artists, you need uh, gaming platforms which are going to bring on the next hundreds of millions of people. You need banks, you need um, institutions, um, you need stable coins. And if, if all these things that I just mentioned can only be built on other chains, the next five years are coming are some of the most important years to be building and look at where they're building. They're not building on Bitcoin.
They're Boom. all building almost like 99% of the entire industry. 99% is building on other chains outside of Bitcoin. So it's going to, it's going to be hard and we need, we need developers. We need people to build smart contracts um, and build these, these tools on top of Bitcoin. One thing you mentioned was non-fungible assets. Um, I'd love to dive into why you view those as so important to Bitcoin adoption. Because it's a, it's a um, non-fungible assets in short are tokenized culture is probably the best way of describing it. Like, I, I think you have, if you look at the whole world of value and like where we assign, you know, value and there's, there's um, art, music, movies, ownership, property, um, you know, all, all things that, you know, that, that, that have value in, in, in this world. And I don't think, you know, too many, like, like, you know, where a lot of Bitcoiners I think are silent in the, you know, NFT debate is how do you argue with art? How do you argue with value and what people are buying with their money? Like Bitcoin, like Bitcoiners can easily argue with Ethereum as a chain and they can easily argue with like, you know, saying proof of stake is bullshit. Can I, uh, can I cuss on here? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so, uh, you know, you can easily say like, you know, I, I disagree with the fundamentals of Ethereum, but if, if every artist and Disney and, and, and like, uh, every gaming studio is building on Ethereum, how do you argue with that? How do you argue with the, the, the consumer choosing saying, I want a Murakami like I, as a Bitcoin, I can't argue with that. Someone's someone paying a hundred thousand dollars for Murakami. That's cool. I like that. Murakami sick. Like, you know, like these artists are incredible and they're all going to another chain. So how do you capture the zeitgeist of the, the creator of the culture and, and, and make Bitcoin the base layer right now, Ethereum has become the base layer of culture is, and is becoming the base layer of culture. And I think that still, you know, Bitcoin can still win this. It's not like a lost battle. Um, but it's, it's, it's a scary, you know, uh, thing that's happened is like, we're losing on culture. How do you become the best money in the world? If you lose out on, on like the cultural zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Like, think about um, like, play this scenario where it's like the, the, the best thousand artists in the world of like the, you know, the, the Monet's, the, the Picasso's of today. And we fast forward a hundred years and we look back at all of their art. It's all on Ethereum. The last five years, it's all on Ethereum. So where do we, you know, let's go play this out even further to say the best game makers, like, like, you know, the, the, the final fantasies, the command and conquers, the, um, Sims, like the, the, that next wave of games, what are they building on these like franchises that will exist for the next 20 years? Where, where, where are they going to build on Ethereum right now? Polygon. So when we look back at, at like Mickey Mouse or Pokemon, whatever that like Pikachu is, imagine owning Pikachu and you look back and that's not on Bitcoin. That's on Ethereum, literally on chain. And so maybe you can make an argument that like some sort of stretch of this imagination that like Ethereum is not going to exist in, in 20 years. It's like, okay, like maybe, but like Pikachu on chain and what or the equivalent of Pikachu on chain is going to exist. That was art. And that it probably was part of a game that is played by a hundred million people, Pokemon. Like, how do you argue with that? So mm. I'm like, I mean, when you, when you say like, you know, on the marketing side, like, 
you know, I'm trying to like sound the alarm of like, Hey guys, don't you see what's happening here? Isn't it? It's so fucking obvious to me, but like, you can't just have a fungible asset in a world economy. You have to have non-fungible and fungible assets. It's how the world works and to ignore it is to get left behind. Interesting. And Bitcoin can do it. It's not, it's not going to try. Sorry. I'm like, like maybe I'm a little tangent here, but like it's, it's not anti-Bitcoin if Bitcoin's the base layer. Like, Bitcoiners shouldn't give a shit what people buy. They should care what they're buying it on. And Bitcoin needs to be the base layer if it's going to win. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor. Voltage empowers engineers with the tools to integrate Bitcoin and Lightning Network payments within their business stack with an enterprise-grade experience. The team at Voltage is building the complete tool set so that you can do more than simply spin up nodes, but you can also understand and interpret your nodes data. Their new product Surge gives engineers the ability to quickly solve problems and optimize their operations. With node insights and visibility through time series data, you get dynamic and complex insights that were never available before. You can get complete control of your Bitcoin and Lightning tech stack with insanely fast onboarding, advanced client-side encryption, and zero management infrastructure to make backups, networking, and upgrades simple. Get a free seven-day trial today at Voltage.Cloud. Mm. Now, with this, this discussion about culture and the importance of it, uh, it, it, it makes me think about the Lolly investor list. And when I look through that list, I've, I've seen a few people who have announced they're, they're investing in Lolly. It's a lot of celebrities. Uh, is that is that a... Was that an intentional decision here? Is this the idea you're trying to kind of like attract the culture to Bitcoin and bring them on board behind Lolly? Very much so. And it's it's both for me and it's for Bitcoin and it's for Lolly. It's it's like um, it, it's it's a thing where it's like in order to get the message out that I believe in, like you know, how do you have the most eyeballs on something that you believe in? And I believe in Bitcoin. I think that. Bitcoin doesn't, you know, to your point, doesn't have a marketing department, right? So it's only as good as the people that are building on it and the people who evangelize it and, and the reach that we have. One of Bitcoin's attack vectors has been shitcoins, right? Like, and shitcoins, because you can create your own monetary policy, you create your own tokens, and you can go give them to Floyd Mayweather, and he can go shill it. Floyd Mayweather goes in, and he's a victim, you know, and, and he goes and subjects hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to whatever you know, his token is. And so I, I think I'm a steward for, um, for good and, and for Bitcoin adoption and, you know, have, have shown that over the last nine years. And I, and one of the things I was like realizing like four years ago, I was like, I don't know enough celebrities. I don't know enough people with a big enough reach. Um, I think I've been very right about Bitcoin and, and right in like, you know, my positioning of like, uh, being a Bitcoin rationalist of, of seeing the pros and cons of Bitcoin and how do we, you know, make this the, you know, this hyper Bitcoinization future that we want? How do we make, how do we give this like equitable money to 8 billion people? Um, and so I looked at like my own um, network and I was like, I just don't, I don't have a big enough reach. I want to reach a billion people and I don't have the people to go do it. And so um, my, my big initiative was like, I'm going to go become friends with all of these people that have hundreds of millions of followers. And then that's going to help Lolly. Uh, spread the word about Lolly, and it's going to help Bitcoin, and ultimately it's going to help the the celebrity too. Because think about it from their perspective. No, no one from Bitcoin is coming to them, or you know, prior to me and maybe a few others, 
was coming to them and saying, hey, I'm going to teach you about, about Bitcoin. Everyone's coming to them being like, I'm going to teach you about this like shitcoin X, shitcoin Y, shitcoin Z, and I'm going to go give you $50 million. They don't care. Or prior, they didn't care about Bitcoin. They didn't care about shitcoin. They were just like, this currency is giving me $50 million. This currency is giving me nothing. What am I going to do? They're, they're, rash, you know, they're rational business people. They're going to take the one that's giving them $50 million and they don't necessarily going to ask all the questions. They're treating it like a brand deal. I'm coming to them saying, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to help you. I'm going to teach you about the fundamentals of the space. I'm going to help you not get fined by the SEC. And, you know, if you stick with Bitcoin, it's long-term good for you and your brand. And we're going to be a Bitcoin first company and we're going to, you know, help you with that. And by you positioning yourself and with a trusted company like Lolly, we're never going to steer you wrong. We're never going to be like, you know, shilling you the next shit coin. Like, and so that's where I think we built this really great relationship. And when you look at FTX and when you look at RAC and you look at all these blowups and all these shit coin ICO scams, you know, we're sitting here being like, everyone's looking at us being like all the, being like, yeah, this guy that promised me that three years ago is right. You know, all this stuff of like, you know, um, people throwing money at these celebrities and, and, and uh, selling them false promises. I've never done, you know, like I've only told them the truth and they can believe it or not, but so far it's been right. Yeah. And for those who aren't familiar, I think, I think you have uh, Serena Williams, Alexis Ohanian, uh, I think you have Logan Paul, a few others. Um, and you know, you're right. We've seen lots of celebrities investing in, either Bitcoin companies or crypto companies are getting involved in the space now. Um, and and I, the opinions I see on Twitter are pretty divided that there's, especially when it comes to investing in companies, the, the net value that a celebrity brings to a brand. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on maybe a framework for, for founders who are, are considering bringing on celebrity investors, anyone who's building a company when is a good idea to bring on a celebrity investor? When is it a bad idea? Because we've seen both sides, both outcomes, right? Where celebrities uh, either get burned by a company or, or the company falls apart or their image falls apart. Um, or, you know, we see, we see positive signs too, where it can lead to a lot of adoption. Yeah, um, it, it's tough. I mean, we, we've almost been burned by a few, um, you know, celebrities uh, that, you know, we didn't end up working with because like their reputations were, you know, tarnished or, or, um, mixed um, feelings on them. So I think like the, the strategy is to, um, is just real, you know, build a real relationship with them and like um, establish what your goals of it are. Like, what are they optimizing for? What are we optimizing for? They're optimizing for making money. Uh, they're optimizing to build their audience as fast as possible. Um, they're optimizing to build the trust of their audience. As soon as they like rug their audience, you know, they, uh, people stop watching them. People stop trusting them. Um, so what we can bring them is all three of those things. We give them trust because it's built on, you know, we're built on Bitcoin. We are, um, giving them that, that established, uh, established credibility that Bitcoin has had over the last 13 years, um, by letting them work with, with, a, with a trusted, uh, Bitcoin company. Um, we're going to pay them regardless. And uh, we're going to help them uh, develop a great relationship with their with their in in, in customer. So um, in, you know, in viewer. So 
I think, I think we, yeah, it's just really understanding. I think a lot of the world's understanding just like, what is everybody optimizing for? Um, what does everyone want in the world? And once you understand what they want, you very much can optimize for like, how do you help them? Mm. So I think and, we, we help them and they help us. Very symbiotic relationship. Yeah, I'd love to explore the ways in which they help you. Like how, how do you channel that influence that someone has into Bitcoin and Lolly adoption? Yeah, uh, I mean, like communication. Um, we, I'm texting with them most weeks, most months, um, and just like building a relationship with them, telling them, you know, what's going on in the space. Um, and then when it comes time for us to, uh, you know, work with them and, you know, need a ad campaign read or when they go on CNBC or Fox News or wherever they go, um, they mention us. So there's a lot of organic reach that it has. I mean, a lot of you've probably seen it, but a lot of our celebrities talk about us without even us paying them. Um, one thing is like they're proud, like they're proud, to, like in, in these blowups, they're proud to work with a Bitcoin company. They're not working with some crypto company that's like scamming everybody. They're giving it. They're working with a company that's literally giving people free Bitcoin, right? So there's a. It almost makes them look good to have to talk about us. So I think it's building a relationship with them and knowing when to ask them for things, um, and then yeah, I mean we we pay them money to you know when, when they do dedicated ad reads or dedicated features or sponsorships and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I think I think it really just like who's their audience and how do you tap into it. Um, and yeah, so far it's worked for us. Nice. Now I want to switch gears a little bit and dive into the lightning network. Um, and because this is, you have a few competitors in the space who, who have integrated lightning network. Lolly has not integrated lightning network to date. And I'd love to understand the thought process in, in the last few years, as you've seen lightning adoption tick up, what are the reasons behind the decision to not integrate lightning today? So the technical reason is it doesn't solve any of our problems. Uh, it doesn't really solve any problems for the consumer, um, you know, for our user um, in reality. Like there's people who are like, like the idea of it and they're like, oh, it'd be cool to, you know, accept it for the novelty of it. But it actually doesn't solve their problem. We do batch transactions. So transaction costs, you know, for buying and selling and holding, you know, Bitcoin is we don't need lightning to do that. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're treating, uh, like part of the innovation is the creative angle that we're like able to run a custody solution for Bitcoin without people actually moving, needing to move money or people having to hold their own keys. And so they can earn it, you know, it goes into, you know, more or less an omnibus account and at any moment they can transfer it out. And so we do batch transactions on the outflow and the consumer, um, you know, pays you know next to nothing to, to do any sort of transfer, and so it's not really a, a, a problem on on for the on the Bitcoin transaction side. So it doesn't really solve a problem for us. It's the only the only thing it solves is like if enough people wanted to do it, and there was reason that it actually made the experience better um, significantly, but. I think we'd be doing like 10 transactions a month that had lightning. So like when you're building something that has like a pretty significant lift and having like 10 transactions that are actually actually using it and setting up, you know, the uh, invoice, like it's, it's a lot of complications of it. And there's 
teaching the average consumer, like, you know, one, one exercise I do internally is like, if I have to teach our users something more than just Bitcoin, it's probably too hard. And um, I think that there's a, a set amount of users, like a hardcore Bitcoin user that would use it maybe. But like, I actually think that the more important job to be done is that more people can get Bitcoin and get Lolly and just have it and see it like and, and see it go up and down. And that's more important. And so when I look at it as like dedication of resources, we I, I just think Bitcoin's in its infancy in its current state. Like people don't know how to set up liquidity in lightning. People don't know how to set up invoices like it's not that easy if you really think about it. Like you could maybe say, hey, go use Moon Wallet and it figures out some of it. But then it's not even, it's like not really using Lightning. It's like you're not really using invoices. It's sort of this, um, it's a great experience, um, but it's custodial. So it's like, what's the point? It's like, why, why would somebody use our, not use our custodial, but use their custodial? It's just custodial to custodial. So you're not really solving a lot of problems with like Lightning as it is today. That said, giant caveat, Lightning solves a lot of people's problems, just not ours. So I'm extremely bullish Lightning. I think it's incredible. And kind of going back to what I was saying earlier about smart contracts, I think that Lightning is very much necessary to exist in order to get to um, a future that proves out that we can do more creative things and more flexible, like turn Bitcoin into a more flexible um, payment system with Lightning. So I think Lightning is one of the most important things going on in Bitcoin right now. And it's incredibly important that people use it, but it doesn't solve our problems of moving money. It doesn't solve like, like we kind of already solved it with rewards. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And you're right. It, it, there's a lot of complexity that still has to be worked out. Um, so I, I, just to recap, if I, I guess the, the areas in which Lightning could add value to Lolly are a, either if users decide that they really want it, which they haven't to date, or B, if, I guess, uh, if mempool gets so clogged up, transaction fees get so high that that you, you run into problems there. But but both those haven't happened. So therefore, the value prop for Lightning today at Lolly is, is low. Is that the idea? 100% correct. Like, you know, like during the, during the last run up, like, it was kind of funny. It was like a good reason why we couldn't be on ETH. You can't, you couldn't send transactions on layer one for less than like 200 bucks. So, you know, unless you did it like super, like, you know, long period of time, but it's like, uh, and, and, you know, maybe that's the, the answer, but um, we don't have to send transactions in like a short period of time. Rewards are such that like someone requests a reward, we put in the reward and it, then it's sent and it can be on a very long period of time. So we're not, it's, it's not instantaneous. Like the nice thing about rewards is it can be like over a period of time and people just need to get their Bitcoin, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think that like we don't have, intentionally, we don't have the same problems that Bitcoin as payments has. Um, Bitcoin as payments, if I'm going to go pay a merchant uh, with like, I, it needs to get there right then. I'm not going to sit there for an hour you yeah. know, at, at, a, at a grocery store in, you know, um, San Salvador or whatever, like waiting for my money to go through. Like payments is very different. Um, rewards, like you put in a request and we'll send it to you. You'll get it. Like, you know, right. we never it's have not an issue with. Important mm -hmm. that it arrives within a second. It can be an hour. It doesn't really matter as much. 
Yeah. So, so you, I think the answer to your question is like, if the mempool ever gets too full that where we have Ethereum like clogging, um, then, then it would be an issue. Um, it'd probably be something we, you know, like th- that, that's what we would, we would have to build it sooner than later, mm. but we haven't had that yet. So. Yeah. Now on the side of users requesting lightning and, and the fact that it hasn't happened yet and is still a complex thing, are there any features or changes that you think lightning products, lightning teams can implement today to change the way that users think about lightning and to reduce that complexity that you see today? Um, I think moon wallet is like a good example of removing the complexity where it's still, you know, more or less, is it, is it, is it I, how do people talk about it? Is it, it's, people say there's, it's there's soda, debates right? all over Twitter and all over Stacker mm-hmm. news about it, but yeah, I think they, they've referred to themselves as a non-custodial lightning wallet. Oh, really? I, I think that's how they refer to themselves. I've, I've heard conflicting views and I, I'm not honestly not up to speed on the, the, the full, uh, discourse going on, but, but there are people have raised concerns about it. Okay. That, 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 that's the concerns I've heard like behind closed doors and stuff like that from people I trust. Um, and yeah, I don't, I try not to get into the, the Twitter back and forth and stuff too much, but, um, the, I think moon wallet like has done a, a really incredible job of making things easy. And I think we need more experiences like that, that make lightning easy and teach people how to basically go down a simpler path so they learn what's happening and then they can go deeper down the rabbit hole with like setting up invoices and everything like that. But like invoices, that's not a, it's not going to solve the, the, the Satoshi's pro like, you know, original vision, right? Like no one's going to set up an invoice every single time they're going to try to accept a payment. It's just like, you need, you need, you need something to be way simpler. You need something to feel like I'm swiping a card, like I'm doing this thing. It just needs to be completely automated in the background. And most things that are completely automated, most things that remove friction are not necessarily going to be non-custodial things. Like you have to have, I mean, Lolly is not, you know, Lolly is a custodial product. Like we, you know, we, we don't try to hide that or anything where it's like you get Bitcoin and at any moment you, you know, can move Bitcoin out. Um, mm-hmm. But um, we don't try to position it in, you know, like as like, you know, something that's, you know, completely non-custodial because it just serves a different purpose. So I think that would be, I think, I think those are the products that I think they're most interesting. I think lightning is probably one of the most exciting things to work on. Um, I think that uh, building smart contracts is going to be the most important thing over the next couple of years that people could work on. Um, so like, yeah, I, I think there's like, I think those are probably the, you know, most interesting things. Yeah. Have you had a chance to look into lightning addresses or the, the unified QR code setup that, that cash app is integrated? Um, are either of those interesting to you? If you've had a chance to look at them? I haven't had a chance to look at those. I, I looked at their web five deck a few months ago when they released that. It was really interesting, but no, I, I hadn't. Uh, you know, can, can you tell me more about it? So like a lightning address, for example, is uh, I can set this up. I, I set it up on all these YouTube videos I have uh, for this podcast. Uh, and it, it lets someone just type in as if it was an email address uh, and send sats from, a, from any lightning wallet. Uh, and then the unified QR code with Cash App is, uh, I believe you can send and receive Bitcoin or lightning Bitcoin uh, using this QR code. And so it doesn't matter what That's layer incredible. you're operating on. 
Yeah, I think that's the kind of innovation we need. It's like a, it's a UI change where um, I shouldn't care if something is on Lightning or on Bitcoin. It if it's on Lightning, it should be on Bitcoin. So, right. like, it's the same problem that like Ethereum faced that you know we can learn from, which was like, you know, if I'm if I'm moving money, that's like I shouldn't care if it's on Optimism or Arbitrum or any of these like layer twos or anything. Um, I, sh- I I should just care about Ethereum. Same thing is true with, with Bitcoin. Like, if I'm giving you money, it, it should be interoperable with every form of that money. Lightning should just be the technology that makes it that money faster or better. It shouldn't be like if I'm sending you Bitcoin, I nothing should get like clogged up or, or hit or whatever. It should just go through. So um, that the QR code thing is really very cool. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think that that's the right way to look at Lightning. Like as much as much as I focus on Lightning. Um, you know, the lightning ecosystem on the show, at the end of the day, it is a tool. It's not the end solution for for everything. It, it's a tool that can improve Bitcoin adoption and Bitcoin usage. Um, and I think it's a, it's a, you know, a very powerful tool, but it is still a tool. And, and there's, there's important uh, nuance in when it's useful and when it's not. And this is going to always be in flux over time. But it, it's an interesting perspective to hear from a team that has not integrated it, thinking about what you know, what might have to happen for you to make that decision? Yeah. Um, I mean, so, so what's people will request it on Twitter, like every once in a while. And they'll say like, you know, like, Lolly, like wind lightning. And then I'll DM them and I'll, and I'll, and I'll explain. I'm like, why, why, why do you want lightning? And a lot of them are just like, uh, I don't know. I just thought it'd be cool. And like, I'm like, did you have any issues with your transaction? Like, did you, you know, did it cost too much or anything? And they're like, no. So that's like how it happens mostly. And, and so that's why I'm like, all right, like I'm, I, I feel like, a few people would use it as novelty, but most technology shouldn't just be used for novelty. It should be used for how do you like for Bitcoin at least? How do you bring it to the masses? Does it solve a problem? Like what I care about, I don't care about five more users using Lightning. That's not my job. My job is to bring like 100 million people to Bitcoin. So someone else can figure out how to bring five more users into Lightning. You know, I'm going to go figure out how to bring 100 million people into Bitcoin, and that's my job to be done. Mm-hmm. Now let's get into the roadmap then for Lolly. Like as you look out in the next few years, um, you know, is is this cashback style rewards the the vision that you you see Lolly going going for in the next five years? Do you see yourself expanding the scope of Lolly to incorporate other products? I'd love to hear more about just the the overall roadmap for the company. Yeah, so I want to be the first place that people go to to get their Bitcoin. Um, I, I want I want to be like if you think about if you're going into Coinbase, which has been primarily the first place to get Bitcoin or crypto um, for most people, you come in and you just see a casino. You see all these other you know currencies, and you have to buy them. and And so you have to play you know pay pay to, pay to play to be a part of this like casino. And most people, if you do like user interviews have no idea what to buy. They, they like, you know, they've heard of Bitcoin, they've heard of Ethereum, they've heard of Solana. And, and, and a lot of them will just buy like, you know, a little bit of each. And, but they don't really have to like know anything about it. And like, if you think of like investing versus shopping, investing is some, something someone does, like the average person um, doesn't do for one. And then the, the average person that invests, they invest maybe like once every couple months and they look at their portfolio. I want to make Bitcoin closer to Satoshi's vision. I want it to be a part of everyday life. 
I don't think it's going to get like it's it's going to be like that for most people for very for a very long time unless we make it part of rewards. The beautiful thing about rewards is it's is it's taking Bitcoin and making it a part of every transaction, not in Satoshi's original vision, but in making it a part of everyday life. So every time I swipe my card, I need to think about Bitcoin. That happens to everybody every day all around the world that people are moving money when they're shopping. Everybody shops, not everybody invests. So my vision for Lolly is like, how do we get Bitcoin in the hands of more people faster by making it a part of the shopping experience, which daily experience, make it a part of a gaming experience, make it a part of a, a survey experience, like things that people do all the time versus things that people less people do in a in less period of time so that's you know until bitcoin becomes a medium of exchange and something that people use every day which they don't right now my way of getting people to use bitcoin every day is through rewards and mm. it's going to continue to be that so we just launched the ability for people to earn in store making it way more of a daily experience before it was an online shopping experience that people would use you know a few times a month now people are using it every day where they're going into getting their coffee every morning, they're going and getting their gas, they're going and getting their groceries. We have a merchant for everything in store and online. And my job is to continue to bring on more merchants that make Bitcoin a part of your everyday life. Interesting. Now, what did these, you know, I, I bundle Lolly into like the cash back rewards companies. And there's a, there's a lot of them, there's different variations online. And uh, I, I've seen a lot of them pop up in the last five, 10 years. I'm, Curious to know what what was the lolly before the internet, and what could lolly and these cashback reward companies evolve into over the next ten years? Like, like, can you talk me through the transition of this genre of company? Yeah. So, um, yeah, c cashback rewards really started with like uh, coupons. Um, truly, like, it, I, don't, I don't know how your childhood was, but. Um, you know, my childhood was like, you know, Saturday, Sunday morning, clipping coupons with my parents. And, uh, we were always, you know, very like, uh, savings, you know, family where my, my parents very much instilled being smart with their money, uh, you know, with, with their money, our money. Um, and we would always like clip coupons. And so we go to the store, we exchange those coupons to get discounts. And there wasn't really like a concept of cash back. Um, Cashback started to emerge um, in, you know, really like with points with like Amex and Discover and, and Visa, MasterCard, being able to take the interchange and give that back to the consumer. Basically, interchange, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, is the cost that ev every transaction pays. It's kind of kind of full circle of the inefficiency of money. Every time you swipe your card, the merchant is paying the card network for that transaction. And it is an absurd amount of money, absurd amount of money, uh, especially for low transactions uh, or like uh, smaller transactions. So every time you swipe your card, you're getting this money and that money, that interchange does go to your, you know, 1% cash back or 1% or one X points back on travel or whatever your card program is giving you. Credit cards have higher interchange than debit cards. Debit ha cards have, uh, you know, very low inter interchange and, but more people have debit cards than, than credit cards. And it's trending that direction uh, overwhelmingly that more people are just saying, I don't want credit. I want debit. 
Uh, I don't want to be on the hook for the you know credit card fees, and and thus the high credit card rewards, which ultimately defaulted accounts are paying for. Like that's the credit card model, right? Like people that can't pay the credit card companies are ultimately paying for your juiced up cash back that you know and love. It comes from the people who can't pay their credit cards. So kind of the the dark truth of the 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 where your rewards come from and uh and like what that actually is. So it's built it's built up on a on a system of credit and and um debt. Uh, is is what points and ca- most points and cashback programs are built on. Fast forward a little bit, Ebates, a company called Ebates emerged in like early 2000s as part of like the you know post dot com um, boom, and it struggled for many years. Um, it actually struggled up until after the recession. Uh, interesting enough, so new CEO comes in. His name's Kevin uh, Johnson, and he is looking at the space and he's like, he's like, oh my God, this has so much potential. It's so cool. But 2008, what did it look like? It was like Paris Hilton and opulence was like sort of the, the vibe of 2008. Everybody had was like in debt up to their eyeballs um, with their home, with their car, with their purses, like all this, you know, it was like mass consumerism. And he came in and was like, oh my God, this app would be incredible or the you know, website at the time would be an incredible way to actually save people money. And so he he comes out and 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 comes in as CEO, and then like six months after he becomes CEO, the financial crisis hits, and they scaled back a lot of their operations because they got scared. The board got scared um, because they were you know they were like everything's un, you know people were spending less. They grew like crazy over those next few years um, because they focused on saving people money, and people went from you know wanting to be like Paris Hilton to wanting to save money. And, 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 and saving became cool, like at, at, at the time to save more money. So fast forward a little bit, um, honey was launched in 2013, I believe 2014. And I was building a, 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 a company, a buy button technology, uh, the first dynamic buy button. And we were trying to power all these companies. We we're trying to power rewards companies. We we're trying to power, uh, merchants. We we're trying to power the social media sites, video sites everywhere to do this connective tissue of payments and commerce for people to buy and sell anywhere. And we're looking at like honey and Rakuten and retail me not and all these coupon sites, slick deals and all these coupon sites out there and being like, this is an incredible place to actually give people the ability to buy and sell. And so I met Ryan and George at honey met, you know, the whole industry and sort of felt like where we would fit in and saw this incredible path where I was like, honey took, this experience of Rakuten, experience of Retail Me Not, of bringing coupons to the to you. It said, wherever you are, Honey will pop up and it'll say, I'm going to save you 10%. And it was this automated way of saving people money and giving people, making people feel good. So I meet Ryan and George on this rooftop in, in, um, in Santa Barbara one day, like 2013, 2014. And funny enough, they were like OG Bitcoiners. And Honey had started actually as a Bitcoin company. But they realized what I realized, which is no one wanted Bitcoin back then, and they couldn't build a you know a business um, off of it back in the day. But kind of you know fun story there. So I end up um, talking with them about what it would look like to give Honey users the ability to pay anywhere um, with Cosmics Technology, my last company, and save money instantaneously wherever they were. And so we came up with this concept where it was like. Um, Honey was everybody's, or what they told me is what 
Honey was everybody's favorite app at the point of checkout, where previously PayPal was. So fast forward many years, PayPal ended up buying Honey for $4 billion because of that exact fact. They had 15 million users that wanted to save money at the point of checkout, and that was a more attractive experience than PayPal. So what we're trying to do in this long game is if we can be everybody's favorite app at the point of checkout, we can ultimately be a conduit for Bitcoin payments, for any crypto payment really, to get people to actually pay with this better form of currency because we're their most beloved uh, app at the point of checkout because they're saving money with Lolly. And ultimately, they, we, they can save more money because it's more efficient medium, medium exchange. We can offer better interchange and we can ultimately offer better rewards to everybody in the world because we built a better um, medium, medium of exchange. Right. That's really interesting. So there's, there's two different pieces here that I'm seeing. Uh, one, one thing you talked about was the interchange and the prices of, you know, like the, the dark side of, of cashback rewards, right? Where they come from and the you know, fees that people are paying because they can't pay their credit card bills off. Um, one part of me thinks that if, if, if people start using Bitcoin, on a regular basis, and especially if they're doing it over Lightning or some, actually on chain as well, uh, there's no concept of debt there, and there's no tool then for these these companies to like extract this cash back to give back to their power users, right? Like if your five percent cash back on hotels or travel or whatever is coming from other people's debt, and now they, those people are not in debt, um, I wonder what happens to that market. And then on the other side, the couponing side, I don't know the answer well, to this. Let me answer that real quick unless it's a two-part question. Sure. Start um, there, yeah. Yeah. So, so different forms of money have different properties that make it more advantageous to the person receiving it. Um, one of the disadvantages of accepting credit or, de- or sorry, debt um, is that there is a lag period of like, 30 to 90 days that the credit card company is going to go pay out the Walmarts of the world or the Joe's coffee shops of the world. And so no matter who you are, you you have this like lag of when you're accepting money. So instant remittance, which is one of the most beautiful things about Bitcoin is a, an advantage. So there's a cost that a business pays for that. It's not just the cost of, you know, the, the interchange. It's the cost of how much does it, does that 90 days of working capital of cash flow, how much does it cost every business? And I think there is a big enough value prop for businesses to get money instantaneously that would make Bitcoin and crypto as a whole, uh, stable coins, whatever, whatever the money they want, it's you know, not really up to us to decide. It's whatever money they want, as long as it has instant remittance and it's fraud free, which are you know huge costs of, cre- of credit companies, credit card companies, right? Fraud and fraud detection is huge, um, and then you know making sure the money actually gets to the 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 end merchant uh, is massive. So instant remittance, I think, is like solves for the delta that interchange had before, and I think that there is, I think merchants are always going to have to pay something. It's just like the part. It's like part of the problem to be solved, but it can be almost like a decentralized choose your own interchange by when you're willing to, how much are you willing to pay to get Bitcoin? Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and so, so that's one piece of the puzzle. The other piece is the, the, on the couponing side, 
have rates changed at all when we transition from like newspaper clippings to internet, you know, coupons or like the, the honeys or the lollies or how has a company's willingness to put up money for these coupons changed as discoverability has changed on the internet? Yeah, great question. Um, so we, um, so, I mean, it's changed a lot. Uh, it went from coupons to digital coupons to people wanting and expecting instant uh, automatic cash back. They don't want to clip their coupons anymore. Um, they want, and, and really they shouldn't, you know, like what's kind of funny is like transactions are, are, are in the fiat world are dumb. They're like, it, there's nothing that says anything in the transaction, right? Like if you look at your credit card statement, that's literally what a bank is getting is saying, this person shopped at LaGuardia underscore star S box store 32. Right. And so like, that's a dumb transaction. There's nothing you can do with it. It's not like a, there's, you have to like interpret what that like literal third, what is it? 32 characters is and, and says that is absurd. Like think about like what's happening and, and you know, Bitcoin doesn't really do this. So talk about Ethereum for a second. Um, Ethereum, you can send somebody something and then get an NFT back, like an entire, an entire asset that has pixels and, and, and like comes with a file, you know, like on-chain files. Um, that's pretty incredible. Like, you know, like I, I just, I'm, you know, I'm just calling out truths here. Um, not sure I sound like ETH maxi, but like the, it's really incredible if you think about what you can do with a smart contract, and this is you know part of my campaign to Bitcoiners, let's build smart contracts, is like, look at all the cool things you can do. If you can make a smart transaction, the amount of things that you can do is like limitless of you, I mean, private transactions, right? Like, how do we make private transactions on Bitcoin? Smart contracts. Like, th- that, you know, like if I want a private transaction, if I, wanna, if I want no rewards and I want all my transactions to be private, I don't care about rewards, I just want to move money privately, I should be able to opt in for that. That would be an intelligent transaction, right? That would be saying, like, I'm going to do a tornado swap or I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to do a ZK rollup that has, you know, private pool or whatever it is. Like, I'm going to be doing something that's going to make my transaction intelligent to some degree and, and, uh, and have all privacy. If I want to do a transaction where I get rewards, I should be able to do that, right? And if I want to share data with, with, I don't care if someone knows that I, you know, am like, uh, let's see, I, I, I'm pretty privacy oriented. So I, I don't care to say like, I am a male that's buying this product. And so if a merchant's willing to pay me 1% reward back, because they just want to know that if I'm, am I, am I a guy or girl that's buying this product that matters to merchants, merchants would definitely pay to know, like, you know, location, gender, um, like age, like all, all like income. Like if I have sort of like, if you look at like the future of data and, and how we, how we will value it, all of our data will have some form of value as attached to it. And I would hypothetically be able to get smart transactions um, where I pay something to get something. So if I'm willing to share something so I can earn 5% on all my spend, because I'm willing to share that I'm like a male living in New York and you know, this, then I should be able to opt into that. Like that's, you know, if you believe in freedom and um, supply and demand and free markets, like that's what free markets demanding right now. Merchants want to yeah. pay for it. 
Yeah, that, so, that's a really cool use case. I think, and, and especially that it's opt-in. I think that can really transform the way advertising is done uh, on the internet, and it gives gives people the ability, as you said, to earn to earn Bitcoin uh, for providing yeah. it. Let's talk about that real quick because you you, you asked about the evolution of the space and the the, the um, elephant in the room that we haven't talked about is like Facebook and Google. Facebook and Google essentially have like a thirty or forty percent, something for some businesses, sixty percent, seventy percent tax on the entire space. If you want to acquire a customer, you have to pay Google 30, 40% to acquire that customer because you're, they're the only channels to go buy them from. And so if, if a channel is what I pay with, or a channel is what data I share with a company, and I don't have to share that data that I'm already sharing with Facebook and Google, and I can just share it directly to the person I'm paying, that's a better world. I think this whole illusion, like, like, you know, Lolly doesn't sell data. And so we don't really like, you know, we're not really like a, a issue here, but there are companies out there that are literally in the data business that are making all their money from selling your data. Like, what do you think Facebook does? What do you think Apple does? What do you think, you know, uh, Google does like these entire YouTube, like Instagram, they're in the data selling business, every ad network, the internet's founded on selling your data. And so how do we remove that? We give the user, the individual, the, the opportunity to be in control of their data and to put privacy and data parameters and, and have an incentive to do that. Right now, you don't have a choice. If you want to use Facebook, you're the product. If you want to use Google, you're the product. Your data is getting you know, sold into every merch, every place, in, and you have no control of it. I would rather the individual have the control of their data and be able to be rewarded for that as opposed to some company making all this money off of your data. Right. So right now we've got this like centralized system where there's only a few people that are like controlling the data pipes. It's making it very expensive for merchants and it's rewarding people with nothing today. And we can flip that around and say, hey, now people can talk to the merchants, reveal what info they want to reveal. Merchants can set their prices and then we can kind of build like a more equitable system um, yeah. for for all. Yeah, like privacy, like I, I, I'm a you know big uh, privacy advocate. If you've heard me you know talk about it before, but um, I think that privacy should be a basic human right. Um, I think that pri- everyone should have the ability to be fully private um, in their lives. I think that the like merchants and free enterprise should have every right to buy that. And, 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 and that is what the, the free market is demanding. You have right. people who want private privacy and you want, you want businesses that want some of that data and want need, need some of that data to be a better business. Like, I don't, I don't know if people really remember how bad advertising is when it's not targeted. I don't want to see, you know, tampon ads. Like I don't need to see tampon ads. Like, I, 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 if I'm in the market for like, you know, a jet ski or like something, I I'm curious, like, show me jet ski ads, like show me like that, like that is a, that is a better world, um, to be able to opt out of ads or have targeted ads or something like there is a degree of privacy where I don't want my name and be able to turn off, you know, that, uh, faucet of my data but I need control of my data and you need to start with the root layer, which is the individual. Right. That makes a lot of sense. 
All right, let's uh, let's jump into a, a segment I do at the end of every show. It's called the lightning round. I got a few rapid fire questions for you. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor. Stackwork is a lightning powered platform for generating high quality transcripts of all your audio or video content. They combine AI engines and hundreds of human workers all over the world who are paid over the lightning network to assemble these transcripts. And that's what lets Stackwork create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. To see the results for yourself, I use Stackwork on my personal website where I transcribe all of my full-length podcast episodes. Check that out. And if you want to learn more about Stackwork, visit stackwork.com. That is S-T-A-K-Work.com. First up is, in what year will Lolly integrate the Lightning Network? <laughs> um, I would say, like, let's say 2023. Okay. I don't think it's, like, too far off, but I just don't think it's, like, just, like, when you look at the all the features we have that like to bring Bitcoin to millions of people, I, I think it's like pretty far down the list. Yeah. Uh, how many people hold Bitcoin today? Uh, as it just as a whole in the world. Yeah. How many people do you think? Um, I mean, last I checked 25 million active wallets, um, like that, that would be considered users of Bitcoin. Like individuals was the last I checked. Um, I think that the total number was like 75, to 90 okay what, what um, is it I, I don't know the actual number I'm, I'm just curious to hear your guess on on how many people like how many human beings today not addresses like just actual humans own bitcoin oh. Today. oh okay with all the exchanges and everything i would say like actual people who own bitcoin um or have bought it at some point it's probably like 90 to 100 maybe in, somewhere in that in that range but people who are actually using bitcoin like off like like on chain, um, I think is is a known number. I think it was twenty five million. Right. Um, if you could only hold one asset for the next decade and it could not be Bitcoin, what asset would it be? <laughs> um, hmm. That's a great question. Um, I would probably own a home. Um, I I do not own a home, so. I think that that's a that's a purchase I probably would like to make over the next like ten years when I have a family and I'm ready to make that purchase. So, um, and you know, real estate's a, not as good investment as Bitcoin historically, but it's a you get to live in it and you can't live in your Bitcoin. So, um, I would I would say probably a home um, would be the next one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's hard hard to print homes. It's it's easy to print cash, but it's it's not impossible to make homes, but it's it's a lot harder. Um, yeah. If have, have there any have there been any books that have meaningfully changed your view of the world? Uh, the Bitcoin Standard, I think, is you know really helped me. I guess it, it. I already really like knew a lot of it about Bitcoin, but I think it it like taught me a lot about like the history of money and sort of more of like like solidified my thesis for Bitcoin. Um, so I, I think, I think every Bitcoiner has probably read it, but it's like, I, I, I think it's a very good book, um, to read if you haven't, um, the self-sovereign individual, um, also a great book. Um, I love philosophy. Uh, so I, you know, Alan Watts, like more and more so listening to Alan Watts, but, um, he has some really good books. I just think he's better, uh, like w better order. 
Um, but I, I love Alan Watts. I think I've learned a lot and um, um, from him. Yeah. Okay, last question. Who's one person in the Bitcoin industry you'd like to give a shout out to for the work they're doing? Ooh, great question. Uh, let's, I mean, this it, isn't like what everyone does. Uh, Elizabeth Stark, I think, um, you know, I think, I think what, what she's done has been, you know, incredible with like lightning labs. Um, and I really appreciate her, um, you know, for, for the work that she's done and, and just been like doing for so long with like very little thanks. Um, and then one more, I think Jack Dorsey, I gotta, I think gotta give a shout out to Jack Dorsey. I think when I look at the entire industry, of like what's needed to for Bitcoin adoption. There's so few CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies with with tens of millions of users that take a Bitcoin first approach. Many of them are take take a multi-currency approach and he has done so much for Bitcoin adoption. Um, and I respect his you know, he could make so much more money if he had, you know, done a, a bunch of other chains, but it, it, I think he's very, he's been really, really incredible for Bitcoin. And I think, you know, Elizabeth on like the core, like, like focusing on lightning and, and, you know, the dedication there. And then Jack on more of just like bringing, you know, my goal is bringing like Bitcoin to the masses. He's just done an incredible job. Like there's nothing like cash up that has brought Bitcoin to everyday people um, at that scale and been Bitcoin only and, and built a business off of it. So I think he's done a really incredible job. So shout out to both of them. Great answers. Uh, where can listeners go to learn more about you and Lolly? So we're very active on Twitter. Uh, our, our accounts uh, tr at Try Lolly. Um, I'm you know very active on Twitter as well. It's uh, Al Alex Edelman, my name. Um, Lolly.com, L-O-L-L-I.com uh, is where you can download both the extension and the mobile app. Um, yeah, start earning free Bitcoin a day. It takes less than a minute to get set up and you can start earning free Bitcoin. So um, I, and I think there's like, it's like, why, why not? <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time and I uh, hope we can do it again soon. Me too. In the last seven days, you guys sent in 18,081 sats to the show as well as 30,000 sats through my fountain lightning address that I include on all my YouTube videos. Thank you to everyone who's been sending in sats and comments. Got a lot of good comments this week. Um, first, big shout out to whoever sent the 25,000 sat boost on my lightning address. So this was someone who I believe was watching a YouTube video, uh, saw my lightning address and sent 25,000 sats. That is huge. Thank you. Um, we also got another comment from a lightning address uh, tipper who said, thanks for all your interviews. These are both anonymous. I don't know who sent them, but whoever you are, thank you. Uh, we also had a bunch of fountain comments from fountain users, uh, and we can read through some of the comments uh, in the last week or so. Uh, we had nine different supporters who sent in that 18,081 sats. The top supporter was Odium, sent in 13,230 sats. An anonymous user from Breeze sent in 4,107 sats. Spare Fewer sent in 216 sats. Gail Tear sent in 49 sats. And A-E-S-C-H-Y-L-U-S, -S, not sure how to pronounce that, sent in 44 sats. Uh, but we got a great comment from Odium. Odium says, your show is easily one of the top Bitcoin podcasts out there consistently. But to be honest, it's embarrassing how little people boost you. Come on, plebs, show some appreciation for great content. There you heard it. Odium said it best. 
thank you for the kind words and uh come on bring bring all the sats you got let's see what you can do um i appreciate everyone sending in sats and comments uh this is the kind of stuff that makes this all worth it it's a lot of fun to see these uh comments roll in i should have a few more episodes out for you guys in the next couple of days keep an eye out for those and i can't wait to see what you guys send in this week